0: We began our time last week in Nehemiah chapter 4, so you at home or wherever you may be, open your Bibles, if you would, to Nehemiah chapter 4, and let me begin our time this week like this. I am a child of God, destined to make a difference. I will not doubt or fear in the face of adversity. I am committed to God's will for my life, no matter what opposition may come. I will praise God for every blessing and through every trial, for he will never fail me. I will put God first every day of my life that I may hear him say, Well done. Now, last week we mentioned that that which we just repeated, that we have dubbed our manifesto, which is new to some of you, was birthed out of our study in Nehemiah all the way back in 2004. Now, We also made note that it came in pieces as we made our way through this very pivotal and timely book and not knowing the relevance that it would have today, I thought it appropriate that we revisit one of the events in the course of events of Nehemiah's life calling and ministry. Remembering that his burden became his actions and he understood that he was destined to make a difference in the city of his fathers just as we are are destined to make a difference today as are Christians in any time throughout the course of church history. Now in one through four of chapter one of Nehemiah, we're told the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah, it came to pass in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year that I was in Shushan, the citadel, that uh, Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped ...who had survived the captivity, the Babylonian captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity in the province there are in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down and its gates are burned with fire. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, we made mention last week that there was a pattern in Nehemiah's life and ministry in that he prayed and. He prayed and followed it with action. He didn't pray and worry. He didn't pray and wish. He prayed and took action. And the burden for his people and nation turned into efforts to rebuild what had been torn down. And this needs to be our approach today. Today our nation is being destroyed by those who hate our Christian heritage and foundation. The cancel culture of today seeks to erase the past and therefore rewrite the present and redetermine our future. And Nehemiah was also facing growing opposition to the call of God on his life. And we are facing growing opposition in our day as well. And the opposition is greater and greater by the day now we began by addressing the fact that making a difference begins with a change of mind which is the very meaning of the word repentance and we have to begin to see growing opposition as an opportunity for even greater victories now i do not believe the bible teaches one last great awakening before the rapture but rather a defection from truth on a massive scale and the failure to endure sound doctrine leading to a strong delusion in the last days but as we said last week that doesn't mean we quit praying for revival that doesn't mean we quit praying for lost souls to come to jesus and for god to work and sweep through this country one more time in these last days many are praying for revival today and so we should but we need to first of all understand that the word revival as used in scripture, specifically in Ezra, by definition means to renew the validity. So when we are praying for revival, we are praying that the church get back to the valid work of God as it began in the first century through the teaching of apostolic doctrines of breaking of bread and prayers and fellowship from house to house. Now, Nehemiah continued in 5 through 9 of chapter 1, where he said, I pray, Lord God of heaven, O great and awesome God, you who keep your covenant and mercy with those who love you and observe your commandments, please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open, that you may hear the prayer of your servant, which I pray before you now, day and night. For the children of Israel, your servants, and confess the sins of of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Both my father's house and I have sinned. We have acted corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, nor the ordinances which you commanded your servant Moses. Remember, I pray, the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though some of you were cast out to the farthest part of the heavens i will gather them from there and bring them to the place which i have chosen as a dwelling for my name now listen this morning america is not israel the church has not replaced israel but god is still god and god still responds to the repentant heart and he still forgives those who turn from their wicked ways somebody out there say amen Now, yet, as with Nehemiah, the opposition against the work of God is growing today. And it is time for, as we mentioned last week, the resistance. And this is part two of our two-part message. Now, we closed our time with a segue point that while there are times where we need to defend ourselves, stand up for our rights, if you will, as Americans and Christians, it is always time for us to defend the word of God. And Peter said in 1 Peter 3, 13 to 17, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Now listen. And do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, like they are doing today, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Peter would go on to say in chapter 4, verse 12, that we're not to think it strange concerning the fiery trials, which are to try us as though some strange thing happened to us. In other words, we're not going to be a stranger to afflictions. We're not going to be a stranger, as Jesus said, even to tribulation and growing opposition. And last week, our time was a time of preparation for the resistance, even as Nehemiah prepared and positioned his people for what was coming. So, too, we spent our time last week preparing and positioning us for what is already happening. And this morning, we're going to look at the implementation of of the resistance as the number of adversaries to the work and word of God continues to grow around us so if you're at home and you'd like to stand as we always do in honor of the word of God would you read with me please from Nehemiah chapter 4 we'll pick it up where we left off last week beginning in verse 14 and read down through 23 Nehemiah 4 14 And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us, and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction, and with the other they held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the, and the rest of the people, The work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. At the same time, I also said to the people, Let each man and his servant stay at night in Jerusalem that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes except that everyone took them off for washing. And Lord, we thank you uh, for this chapter and the timeliness of it. We thank you, Lord, that you are our God who fights for us. And we pray, Lord, that you would teach us this morning and equip us this morning how to live our lives in such a time as this, when the opposition is great and growing, when you are being defied and your ordinances for the church are being disregarded and disobeyed and even commanded to be disobeyed by those who believe in you, we pray, God, that you would teach us how to live in a moment such as this. Prepare us today for the resistance, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the first part of the implementation of the resistance to the enemy's plans is in verses 14 to 16, where Nehemiah first encourages the people, do not be afraid. Now, someone has recorded the fact that there is an admonition to not fear 365 times found in the whole of Scripture. Now, that's one per day, and we don't need to fear on any given day because God is for us. Therefore, who can be against us? He then gives them the tools when he says, on how to do this, when he says, remember the Lord, great and awesome. And if you examine Nehemiah's prayer, it's interesting that he follows the pattern that Jesus gave when his disciples asked, teach us how to pray. He begins by hallowing the name of the Lord. He says here, great and awesome is the Lord. But like with his prayer life, Nehemiah didn't just toss out a few truisms, then sit wait and worry he said remember the lord and fight for your brethren fight for your sons fight for your daughters and fight for your houses now remember many of the houses that they were uh, building and living in were actually inside the walls of the city so nehemiah appointed people their position for rebuilding according to their families so many were working on their own dwelling places as well as restoring the wall. Now, we made the point last week, we need to be reminded again here today, these weren't stonemasons, these weren't soldiers, they were everyday people from all walks of life. Now, some were nobility, some were leaders, and other were people just like us, people trying to raise their family, people trying to live for God. And a lot of people today are thinking, what kind of world is this to raise a family in? And Terry and I have expressed concerns multiple times about our own grandchildren and what they are facing today and how they are being indoctrinated within the school system today. So what is the implementation for the plan of resistance today? Well, the first thing is we fight for our families. We fight for our brethren. We fight for our sons. We fight for our daughters. We fight for our houses and dwelling places. Now, in Ephesians 6, 10 to 13, we're also reminded... that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Now, very curiously, the word withstand in verse 14 means, or verse 13 means rather, to resist. We ought to put up a resistance force against the advancement of principalities and powers and spiritual hosts of wickedness. And they are the ones who are driving what is happening in our country today, And there are human minions who have submitted to these rulers of the darkness of this age and are doing their bidding. After all, Jesus divided humanity into two categories. categories. You are either for him or you are against him. And yet, Paul reminds us our, our battle is not with flesh and blood. Now, hang on. It's not against Gavin Newsom, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, Rashida Tlaib, Elon Omar, but like Nehemiah, we need to take steps to thwart their actions, even though there is a spiritual force behind them, driving them to do the things we are experiencing today. And in the cases of the names I just mentioned, along with many others, the action we need to take today is to vote them out of office and be done with them. Now look at what happened in verse 15. Nehemiah said, when they found out that we found out what they were up to, their plot was foiled. In other words, they lost the element of surprise and we went back to work. And yet we're told half of the servants Artaxerxes sent with Nehemiah worked and the other half stood as armed guards. Now this will be important in a few moments. Now, all the house of Judah was behind the resistance that Nehemiah had implemented. Now, here's what this translates to, and it is another admonition, but it's also application and implementation of the resistance. Listen, saints, the worst thing to do right now is nothing. The worst thing to do right now is nothing. And obviously the implementation part of the resistance is to do something. And what is that something? that something is we submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from us. How does that apply to us today? Listen, if they tell us not to preach in Jesus' name, we do it anyway. If they tell us we can't preach certain portions of the Bible, we do it anyway. If they tell us we can't say certain behaviors prohibited by God cannot be mentioned by us, we preach them anyway. Now listen closely here today. If there was an earthquake and the building we were meeting in was unsafe and could cause the death or, or injury of some, nobody would have a problem with online church services for a while. But if the building was repaired and the danger had passed and we did not meet together, that would be problematic. Because scripture tells us in Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, we could paraphrase what the author of Hebrews said as we're going to need to be together as a body of believers the closer we get to the rapture and following tribulation. Now listen, when the coronavirus first hit, nobody knew much about it. And we were hearing astronomical numbers from the governor of California in that there were going to be some 25 million cases of coronavirus in California. Well, to date, there's been 414,000. We heard that there were over a million that were going to die. So far, there's been 7,870 in California. Now, these are all tragic, obviously, but they are far short of what the governor had predicted and they are not outside the normal death toll for a flu season average every single year. And yet, on July 18th, 2020, USA Today ran a story with this as a headline, coronavirus updates, global fatalities past 600,000, virus on track to become a leading cause of worldwide deaths. Now, we hear a lot about fake news today, but let me just say this about that headline in the USA today. It is a blatant out and out lie. Yes, 600,000 people is a lot of people uh, dying from the coronavirus. But the fact is, on the top 10 causes of death around the world, it isn't even remotely close to the leading causes of death. Tuberculosis, number 10 on the scale, kills well over 2 million people globally every single year they're trying to drive us by fear they are opposing us and listen yes we need to be wise yes we need to be smart but yes we need to meet together as the body of christ and we will be doing so next week as we are able and then out of this facility where it's prohibited now listen the point is this initially safety first was the proper protocol Now it's clear that COVID-19 is more about politics than public health. And when the governor says the church can't meet, and I quote, because the church is a high-risk, low-reward group, end quote. Did you catch that? The governor said the church is a high-risk, low-reward group. He has forbidden the church to meet, But what we're going to do is we're going to submit to God and resist the devil. Listen, there is nothing more rewarding than coming to church, hearing of Christ, getting saved, and having an eternal reward, which is in heaven. The church is the highest reward group on the face of the planet, and the church needs to be together. Listen, the government's job is to protect our rights, not our health. And yes, we should be wise. Yes, people have died. But they died last year from the flu and every year before that from the flu in far greater numbers than they are dying now. And no one in the past has shut down the church. Make no mistake, the virus is real, but so is the exploitation of it for political purposes. Now, gosh, I wish you guys were here. I mean, there are some people here, but I wish you guys online were here. Now, let's reread 17 to 20. Then we're told those who built on the wall, those who carried burdens, loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at the construction and with the other they held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me, Nehemiah said. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Somebody at home, shout hallelujah. Say amen. Do something. Now listen, it's worth noting that Nehemiah took very practical and logical steps in light of the growing adversity and animosity toward he and the Jews. It was the worst time to do nothing, just as it is for us now. Now, remembering the story when the Jews were being persecuted uh, in Esther's time, in Esther 4.14, her uncle Mordecai said, For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Listen, Mordecai said to Esther something that was true today as well. God is going to deliver his people. In that case, he was going to deliver the Jews from the plots of wicked Haman. Yet it seems likely that God has you, he said to her, in the king's household for such a time as this. And listen, Nehemiah recognized that if the work was going to be defended, it was going to be by them. There was was no one to send for, no one to look to. So he used what and who was at his disposal at the moment. Now, I think we all recognize because of the no longer enduring sound doctrine, the strong delusion that's already at work in the world, the lawlessness that is abounding, the church defecting from truth in many cases, the corporate church may not be, in its greatest spiritual condition right now and the faithful and true followers of Christ may be relatively few but God has us alive right now at such a time as this to do something about what's happening in our world and Nehemiah said to the nobles rulers and the people that the work at hand was great and extensive and that means there was distance between the group of workers So Nehemiah, bound Satan, declared and decreed, Sanballat and Tobiah were defeated, and he sat down and waited for God to build the wall. No, that's not what happened. Now, let me clear something up for our own benefit, and I always like to do a little doctrinal housekeeping when we have the chance. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 15 to 20, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. So this is applicable to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, now please note the context hasn't changed. The narrative is continuing, same speaker, same audience, so therefore, same context. Jesus says, assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, now he's illustrating what he just said, that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them, By my Father in heaven, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Now listen, the word bind and the word loose are legal terms. They mean to put under obligation. Loose means obviously to free from obligation. And the context of this statement is in the area of sin between believers. It has nothing to do with binding and loosing Satan listen, if you could bind Satan, he's been bound billions of times by Christians throughout the ages and yet here he is roaming the earth like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And the fact is, what it has to do is with repentance and forgiveness. If someone sins and the offended brother looses them from their obligation for restoration, then they are loosed and heaven is in agreement with them. If the one sinned against says, hey, things need to be made right, then they are bound, and heaven is in agreement with them as well. So let's not waste our time doing non-biblical things, and instead let's do what Nehemiah does here. When opposition was growing, and the workers were few and scattered, he had half of his servants work, he had half of them stand guard, all the nobles, rulers, and people held a weapon as they worked. Now, As it pertains to implementing the resistance, here is our second point. Listen this morning, this afternoon, this evening, wherever you may be around the world watching online. Listen, some causes are greater than our differences. There are some causes that are greater than our differences. Now remember what King David said when his brother Elias attacked him for asking, What will be done for the one who kills this giant who is defying the arms of the living God? His brother attacked him, rebuked him, and said, Who have you left those few sheep with? I know what you're here for. You came down here to gawk and then gossip. And in 1 Samuel 17, 29, David said, What have I done now? Is there not a cause? Now, let me put some skin on this for us all. Listen. Listen. You may believe the rapture is mid-trip. You may believe the rapture is pre-wrath. You may believe the rapture is post-trip. But whatever you believe about the rapture, we need to come together right now because the church is under attack. Listen, you may believe the apostasia of 2 Thessalonians 2 is the rapture. You may believe it's talking about a defection from truth. We need to come together right now Because the church is under attack. Listen, you may think the gift of tongues is for today. You may think it ceased with the apostles. There might be some distance between us on these issues. But we need to come together today. The church is under attack. There is a cause that is greater than our differences today. And in Ephesians 5, 8 through 11, we are reminded, you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Now listen close. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Now, if you're at home, buckle up. We're going to talk some truth here for a moment, so hang on. Listen, when the battle is raging and the church is being attacked, We need to unite against our common foe. We don't need to stand up and tell people, you can have your best life now. When the fiery darts are zooming past our head, when the enemy is roaring like a lion, we don't need someone telling the devil he's bound when that's something only Jesus can do. We don't need people declaring and decreeing victory. We need people rallying to the battle where God is going to fight for us. Listen, if you're sick of abortion, taking the lives of the most innocent victims, then quit voting for people who support it. If you're tired of crooked politicians, get rid of them. Forget your stupid political associations and vote for people who will stand for truth, who will fight for life instead of fighting to be able to take them before they're even born. Quit worrying about your party. Start standing up for truth. There is a cause greater than our differences today, and we need to do what Nehemiah did and heed what he said. There might be some distance between us and doctrinal grounds and biblical interpretations, but when the time comes and the trumpet sounds calling us to battle, we need to rally together and the Lord will fight for us. And listen, we need to remember, sometimes the Lord fights for us by fighting through us. After all, God gave David the victory over Goliath, but David had to sling the stone and throw it at Goliath's forehead and God guided the stone to its proper place. And listen, Romans 13, says, and do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Now listen this morning. I'm not a Calvinist but I will stand arm in arm and fight the devil till my last breath with any Calvinist who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God, the head of the church, who is the only one who saves. We may not believe the same thing about how somebody comes to Christ, but we both believe you must come to Christ in order to be saved. I am pre-tribulation rapture, but I will stand shoulder to shoulder with any mid-pre-wrath or post-tribber who believes Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the head of the church, is the only one and the only one who saves? There might be some distance between us, but there are causes greater than our differences. We can go back to debating our differences when we have won the victory and God has fought for us. What we, listen, what we don't need right now are toy soldiers with plastic swords and shields. It is time for the army of God to stand up and fight, for the Lord will fight for us and through us. Somebody say something out there, even the five of you that are in the room today. Now, 21 to 23. So we labored in the work and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. Let me just translate that for you. That's a long time. At the same time, I also said to the people, let each man and a servant stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day. So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing, which I'm sure was a blessing to all. Now, look at how practical Nehemiah is. He's facing the opposition. First, we found last week, he set the people according to their families which would increase their passion for defending each other and the work. He set half of his own servants to the task of being guards. He did not do so, however, at the expense of stopping the work. The other half he put to work on repairing the gates and the wall. Now we see, he said, half of the men as watchmen from when the sun came up until the stars were out at night. He also had the men and their personal servants stay in the city so they could guard all night and then work all day. He then says they only stop working or watching in order to take a bath. Now, in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, we're told, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives a prize? Run in such a way that you may be able to obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now, they do it, those who run in the Olympic Games, do it to obtain a perishable crown. But we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air like a shadow boxer. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. We read this last week as well in Colossians one twenty-eight to 29 him we preach speaking of jesus warning every man teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in christ jesus to this end i also labor striving according to his working which works in me mightily now interesting the word striving is agonizomai and it's from where we get our word agonize it means to struggle it means to labor fervently. It also means to contend with your adversaries. And in Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, we're told he himself, Jesus, gave to the church, some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, who's the head of the church? Christ, from whom the whole body joined in it together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, I think we're all pretty quick to understand that God has works prepared beforehand for us all to walk in. The Bible says so, Ephesians 2.10 records that. I think most of us understand that some of the works prepared beforehand involve serving at church, so that the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry can happen. Now, what I don't think everyone recognizes is the agonizing that is required in order to do the works we are called to. Sometimes it's a struggle. Sometimes there are adversaries, but we are all called to labor fervently. And at times there is a cause that may lead to major inconvenience and an extra level of commitment on our part, like standing guard all night, And working all day. And I agree with Nehemiah's strategies. Stopping to take a bath is a necessity among those things. Now, here's our final point regarding the resistance. Listen closely now. We must continue to fight until there is victory, not just progress. We must continue to fight until there is victory, not just progress. Now, we're hearing a lot about the First Amendment in recent days which is great and we do need to remember that the first amendment restricts the congress not the church congress shall pass no law prohibiting the free exercise of the press religion and the freedom of speech and the fact is it does protect us from governmental overreach and tyranny very things that we are experiencing lately but here's what we need to remember in mark 12 17 Jesus said to them regarding taxes that is render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God. And they marveled at him. Jesus said later in Matthew 16, 18, and also I say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build, whose church is it? My church. And the gates of Hades, Jesus speaking obviously, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, there are many things that the Bible has relegated to human authority, protecting the innocent. Punishing evildoers, according to Re- uh, Romans 13. But we also need to remember that Jesus very clearly stated the church does not belong to Caesar. The church does not belong to the government. The church belongs to God. Amen. Listen, we've been putting up with too much for too long in the church in recent years. In the Johnson Amendment of 1954, the voice of the church in relation to speaking on behalf of or against political candidates, which is a responsibility the church has before God to be salt and light and expose the works of darkness. And it is a direct violation of the First Amendment, which is secondary by far. We are to be the voice of truth in an age of growing darkness. And the Johnson Amendment restricted the church from speaking out on political issues because Johnson, Lyndon Baines Johnson, was opposed by those who thwarted one of his plans that he was seeking to advance. So he had the IRS right into law. The fact that the church had to stay silent and any 501 c had to say, stay silent on these issues. But listen close as it pertains to our text and topic. Nehemiah 4:6 told us last week. So we built the wall and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people had a mind to work. And listen, the people kept working after they reached a the halfway point because a half built wall is not effective for protecting any city any more than some progress is helpful when total victory is what is needed. And listen, I know this is may rile some up and i'm all about standing up for our rights but we're not fighting for our rights as american citizens we're fighting for our rights as citizens of heaven we are fighting for our rights as the people of god who have been mandated by god to meet we've been mandated by god to worship the great god of heaven who has created us all. And when men like Gavin Newsom say, leave the liquor stores and the pot dispensaries open and close the churches, we say this is a promotion of evil and a discrimination against God's people and we're not going to do it. It's time for the church to awake from its sleep, to rally together, to fight for the cause of Christ because we are the only institution that God has ordained and God has commissioned to preach christ on this earth we've settled for a half a wall too long it's time for victory it's time for the bride of christ the church who has been attacked by the devil and those who serve him and seeking to silence us through them to stand up it is time for the church to say we ought to obey god rather than men now as i said last week we're meeting online this week Because we either have to do this or we have to do nothing. But next week, we're in a different place. Next week, we're going to meet. Next week, we're going to worship God out loud. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against us. Because here's the last thing before my voice goes out. You can't mess with God's church Or you can't mess with God's people without messing with the head of God's church, who is Jesus Christ. Who, by the way, is the King of kings and the Lord of all lords. He is for us. And he is going to fight through us. And we need to stand up as he fights for us and rally together. Let's quit bickering over stupid stuff. Listen, there are things we are to divide from. There are things that we are to expose we're mandated in scripture to expose the unfruitful works of darkness but listen what you believe about the rapture of the church what you believe is whether god pre-selected some and others are destined for hell if you believe that jesus is the christ the son of the living god the only means of salvation if you believe in the indwelling of the holy spirit and if you don't believe tongues are for today, or if you do believe tongues are for today, set that aside. The church is under attack. It's time to take the land. It's time for us to stand up and say, we're going to obey God rather than men. Enough of the nonsense. Let's build the rest of the wall. The king is coming. Somebody say amen. And Father, we are grateful for your matchless word. And again, we thank you for the many times five years, 52 weeks a year of meeting in this room. Lord, we didn't know what was coming, but you did. And you have a plan for our future as well, and we are thankful for that. And you are transitioning us wonderfully into a new venue where we can meet and all the things that we need. Lord, we thank you that the gates of Hades will not prevail against your church. We thank you that you have told us to equip the saints for the work of ministry. We have sought to do that for your namesake and glory in this church. And therefore, the plans that are laid against us have been exposed and they have and will come to nothing. And we thank you for this beautiful reminder from Nehemiah. So Lord, help us as we see the day approaching to keep building, to finish the work, to run our race and complete it And run as if to win, not come in second, not come in third, not even just finish, but rather may we run to win. And Lord, help us to remember that story that we mentioned of David. You defeated Goliath, but you had David sling the stone and throw it. So help us, Lord, even as we speak the truth in love, even as we stand having done all to stand in these last days against those who are serving the devil and seeking to destroy your church. Help us, Lord, to speak the truth and love to them as well. We pray for Gavin Newsom. We pray you save his soul. We pray for Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and Ilan Omar and Rashida Talib and those who are so vocal against these United States and the foundations we have in a country in this country. We pray for their souls. We pray you would turn their hearts to you. We pray, God, that they would get saved and the Christians around them would be vocal and not uh, afraid, Lord, as Nehemiah admonished the people. Don't fear them. So, Lord, we pray for our great country. We thank you for it. But, Lord, even above that, we pray for your church. We pray your church would stand up and, Lord, that we would walk in the power of your might as we fight the battle in your strength, for your glory, as you fight for us and as you fight through us. We pray these things in the name that is above all others, the only name by which one can be saved, the name of Yeshua, King of kings and Lord of lords. We bless you. We honor you. We thank you again for this place, and we look forward to where we're going. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.